Rinkwide Vancouver. Free game, post game, every game presented by Bodog from Sports Odds to free casino games. Make a play at Bodog.net. Wadden and J-Pat here with you on a non-game day version of the podcast as the Canucks get set for a five-game homestand, J-Pat. And when you look at the teams that are coming up here, a lot of them divisional foes, but also few of them that are fighting right now for their playoff lives or at least their seeding. So some important games coming up that the Canucks can maybe uh, dive that or sink their teeth into these ones. Well, I, th- I certainly think they're going to be tested. And I think that's what Rick Tockett wants at this stage of the season. You know, we saw what happened in Chicago. And yeah, they've got the Blackhawks one more time here on the homestand. But you look at the first three games in the homestand, the Calgary Flames, like three weeks ago, they were done. They were cooked. They were buried. Like we were all right in the open and they're back. But a big part of that's because Winnipeg has just gone in the toilet big time. But but the Flames, they're two points back of, of Winnipeg. And so, you know, Winnipeg holding on to that final playoff spot in the wild card. But the Flames are, yeah, right there. We should mention as well. Next week, the Flames, the Jets, and the Predators all play like a three-team round robin. And so that probably will decide the final wild card spot in the West, but for the Canucks, they're going to see, I would think, a desperate Calgary team. Now, what does that mean? We know that the Flames struggle to score goals, but they, you know, they're playing for their playoff life. So you would think that you're going to see a hungry Calgary team. I'm interested on Sunday, the Los Angeles game, because we watched the Canucks go into LA, what, 10 days ago, and Thatcher Demko was incredible. But remember, too, like the Kings outshot the Canucks 40 to 16, and they didn't have Kevin Fiala in their lineup. And so they struggled to ultimately beat Thatcher Demko. They got Fiala back, but the Kings are, you know, they're still battling for home ice advantage. They're still, you know, there's an outside chance that they could reel in Vegas, I suppose, and and win the division. So a fair bit for them to play for. And then the Seattle Kraken on Tuesday. And again, you, you know, you're hoping that that rivalry is starting to get a little bit of traction, but the Kraken certainly look like they're going to the playoffs. The Canucks aren't. And basically in the final week of the regular season, the Kraken should be you'd think, in playoff mode, and they're not home and cool just yet. So I think from a Canucks perspective, they're going to get three pretty good opponents coming in here, and we'll see if they are to the challenge, if the sloppy defensive play the other night in St. Louis was not just a one-off, and I tend to go there. Like I don't think all the good that Rick Tockett has done behind the bench with this group goes out the window just because they had one game the other night that looked a lot like many other games early in the season, but you know, these teams are going to come into town and mean business. And I think the Canucks are going to have to be a whole lot tighter than they were certainly on Tuesday in St. Louis. They got a little bit of time here to decompress a full day off here on this Thursday. And then they get back at it to start the five game homestand. Weird homestand too, on a couple of levels. One is it starts and ends with the Calgary Flames. And oh yeah, the Flames haven't been here yet. Like it's April on the weekend <laughs> and we haven't <laughs> seen the Calgary Flames in Vancouver. So You know, in some years, these games would have massive playoff significance, but they don't this year, at least not for the Canucks, but uh, they do, as we said, for the Flames. Yeah, the Kings and the uh, Oilers, of course, on a crash course to meet again in the first round and Mm. just trying to get that home ice. Now, last year, of course, the Oilers had the home ice and ended up winning in Game 7, but LA was able to take a couple off the Oilers in Edmonton in that. Do you think the NHL's achieving what they wanted out of this the way they have the playoffs set up and, you know, the fact that they wanted to get these sort of rivalries between a divisional foes. And, you know, here we are two years in a row now with Edmonton and LA about to lock horns. Is that a rivalry though? I mean, yeah. sure. They once shared uh, Wayne Gretzky, but you know, the proof of last year was that you got a battle of Alberta for the first time in forever. And that was great, but it didn't happen in the opening round. Dominoes had to fall. And so I would say no. And we've discussed too, this idea that Toronto and Tampa have been on the collision course since Christmas, which I don't think is great. I 
I like the drama late in the season. And so I like the idea that all of a sudden there is this sprint to the finish for Nashville and Winnipeg and, and Calgary. And on the Eastern side, yeah, there's still a playoff race there too. I mean, the Islanders, big win for them in a shootout, but Horvat shootout goal didn't score in the run of play, but he scored a shootout goal to help the Islanders win against Washington. You got Pittsburgh, you got Florida in the mix. And that was a big win for Florida and Toronto when they were down yeah. late and pull out two points there. So I do, I think that's good for hockey is that we do have these playoff races, but in terms of that format, I think I'm in the camp that is go back to one against eight. I know some people have said like at times this year, one against eight would lead you to the very same matchups that you're getting. And there's no guarantees, right? Like you just don't, you don't know how it's all going to play out. So I understand, I think, what the NHL was hoping for to try to produce the Rangers and the Islanders in the first round or better chance of the Rangers and the Islanders, you know, at some point in the playoffs and the same with the Battle of Alberta. But ultimately, you can't control those playoff matchups. And I just think that, you know, there should be an advantage for a team that finishes first in a conference that they should get an eighth place team. Now, Ask the Canucks how that worked in 2012. Sometimes the eight seeds hit the playoffs, you know, on an absolute heater. An outlier, that, though. It's an outlier, though. Right? Generally. Yeah, generally. But those 2012 LA Kings rolled over the Canucks and yeah. then rolled over all the competition all the way to, to winning the Stanley Cup. So, you know, there are times you can get an eight seed, but I do think that there should be some value. And in fact, that's where, you know, I was a late sort of adopter to the play-in idea. But again, if you want to make the regular season significant for finishing first, then the first and maybe even the second team in a conference or a you know, division winner, however you want to seed them, like they should get teams that have to come out of a play-in that have already played and beaten each other up and, and that kind of stuff. Even if it's a one-game play-in, it's one more game, one more chance for, you know, <laughs> injuries, whatever comes out of the play-in game. But you know, I think the National Hockey League should take a look at rewarding the success of the top teams in the regular season a little bit more than just worrying so much about the rivalries. Ultimately, we love playoff hockey. The first round, those first couple of games of the first round, I mean, it, it's almost too much. <laughs> I'm never going to say it's too much, but it's just you know off the charts good in terms of excitement and the passion and the you know the animosity that's on display as teams are trying to stake their claim to, to their turf early in a playoff series. So I'm looking forward to it. I'd like it a whole lot more if the Canucks were involved. Yeah. May, maybe someday, certainly for <laughs> rink. And I hope they get to the playoffs because I want to host rink wide after playoff games yes. and, you know, between playoff dates and all that type of stuff. So make it happen Canucks, but it's not going to happen this year. Yeah. Right now, if you went to the one to eight, the, uh, the ones that were locked up that we've known about for a while, like the Leafs would play actually the Rangers right now, cool. uh, in the four or five matchup there. And then on the, in the West, you would have the Oilers playing the stars right now, whereas LA would play a uh, Colorado if it was to go one eight. So yeah, I see what you're saying, like what they're trying to do, but it just doesn't work when you have, you know, a division like the Atlantic or the Metro that just are stacked at the top three teams, right? It's it's not really fair to the, I think to the fans, really, because you're going to have really good teams just out in the first round. And, you know, I get that they want to try to create that rivalry, which is what ultimately what they're thinking with the fans in mind, but it just doesn't seem to work necessarily. So I'd like to see them go back to the one through eight, but I don't think Gary's going to do it, though. He... Gary's stubborn. I don't know if you've uh, noticed that about him. The league is great. Our yeah. fans tell us that there is yeah. no need for change. Yes, exactly. Mm. Anthony Beauvillier probably wants to change his game a little bit. Yeah. Uh, just one point in the last seven. I know we sort of praised him on recent podcasts for the way he was performing since he got with the Canucks, wondering, you know, maybe perhaps there might be a contract extension somewhere for him. But 
as of recent, he's been off that top line. And as I pointed out there with the points, not really producing right now. Yeah. And this is, it's a little strange to me just because it went so well early on. And again, he was seamless stepping in on that line with Pedersen and, and Kuzmenko, but all of a sudden he's gone cold and that's opened the door to Rick Tockett experimenting. We've seen Dakota Joshua up on that top line for parts of the Chicago game and most of the St. Louis game. And it was out there as an extra attacker and they scored. So I would assume that you'll probably see Dakota Joshua get another opportunity to skate with Elias Pedersen on Friday against the Calgary Flames. But yeah, back to this question of where is Anthony Beauvillier? Has anybody seen him? I'm putting out the APV for, for Anthony Beauvillier because it's not just one point in his last seven games. And by the way, that one point, a second assist in that 7-2 win over the San Jose Sharks when everybody was scoring and everybody was getting points. He's got one goal in his last 14 hockey games, which is kind of snuck up on me. Like, I don't know, like, you know, the team's been winning and maybe we haven't been focusing so much on individual performances, but he scored a home game, a home goal against the Dallas Stars. That's the last time he scored. That was eight games ago. And then, as we said, just one point in the last seven. But beyond the no goals in eight, it's one goal in his last 14 after he had scored six in his first 11 games after the trade. And we all thought, wow, like, look at this guy. Not just on the, you know, the top line, but in the bumper spot on the power play. He was pulling the tree. He had a couple of two-goal games. The thing that was really telling to me, though, was his usage the other night in St. Louis. He played less than 13 minutes of that hockey game. This is a guy that played 22-45 in Nashville not that long ago. Like bumping up against 23 minutes in a game against the Predators. The other night in St. Louis, under 13 minutes of ice time, one shift in the final eight minutes when the Canucks were trailing and looking for the equalizer, only 10 seconds of power play time on the night. The Canucks, they had three power plays. Mind you, the top unit scored on two of them, so... They were abbreviated power plays, but still just 10 seconds of power play time. And like he has gone ice, ice cold. Like, so yeah, it's going to be interesting to see with eight games to go. Like, where does he slot in? Where does he play? Who does he play with? And can he finish up strong? Because you're right. Like in those first couple of weeks after the trade, I think a lot of people thought like, hey, like, you know, he fits the age range. He's, you know, producing here. Like maybe he can be part of what they're looking for, but boy, oh boy, like right now, he's kind of gone back to that pre-trade Anthony Beauvillier who was ice cold before the Islanders shipped him to Vancouver. Yeah, just 13.03 against Dallas and then 12.51 against uh, St. Louis. So yeah, you want to see some more out of Anthony Beauvillier. Yeah, interesting to see exactly, we know, what his future is with the Canucks. I know we've batted this around already, but, you know, maybe perhaps he's one of the candidates that they're looking at in terms of trying to shed some salary in the offseason. Maybe this stretch here is starting to tell them a little bit more than what, you know, maybe they're trying to figure something out with him. Cause I think the piece or pieces, I guess really that in, in the Horvat trade that probably the most important for the Canucks was of course the draft pick that they flipped into Heronic, but also Atu Ratu. I, I think that's the guy really that they they're hoping is going to become something. And then Bavillier sort of just helped with the, with the dollars. Right. And, and then of course he's an asset still because he yeah. does have a year left on that, but you know, it'll be interesting to see exactly what they do. Uh, with Anthony Bovillier and what his future will be with Vancouver. Cause he, he's one of those guys you're like, yeah, I could see them signing him. Cause he kind of fits in the, this age range of, of players they're trying to, you know, put together here. But at the same time too, when you're not really producing how you want and every dollar counts so much in the NHL nowadays, you could see why maybe they, uh, they might waver on um, what they originally thought with the player. Well, and I, I wonder too, you know, like he gets around the ice, his skating is good. I think he can keep up and, and, you know, speed certainly isn't an issue there, but he doesn't seem like a guy that drives play on his own. No. And when he gets further down in the lineup, that's where he doesn't just, yeah. you know, he, he isn't just chipping away. 
he kind of has disappeared here lower in the lineup. And so that's a bit of a concern, but it's also, you know, this is the time for evaluation. And so I think these are all important findings for the coaching staff and the organization. And, you know, we'll see where it goes. He wasn't named in the letter that was sent out yesterday as part of the future. Now, there were omissions above him. Certainly Brock Besser wasn't named. Connor Garland wasn't named. Oliver Ekman Larson wasn't named. But it is interesting to see the letter from Jim Rutherford to the season ticket holders. I don't know about you. I just, I, I, I mean, words on a screen, their words on a piece of paper, ultimately. But you know, I didn't think he made any outlandish promises. I didn't think he oversold where the organization is and how it's fallen short. I, I thought that his tone throughout that letter was was pretty good. Lots being made of Ethan Bear being included in the names that were mentioned. And of course, Bear doesn't even have a contract. And so we don't know, you know, what does that mean? How much should we read into the fact that he gets included in a letter from the president of Hockey Ops to the season ticket members? But uh, ultimately, They've got a lot of work to do. We know that. It sounds like Jim Rutherford recognizes that at least. And when I come back to the tone of those letters, again, I'm starting to get a better feeling that upper management is kind of understanding the angst in the fan base. And they better. <laughs> right. But but early on, it didn't, you know, it, it didn't feel like they wanted to accept the fact that this is a frustrated fan base because they haven't been here very long. And they don't have to answer for the past transgressions of, you know, the, the 50 years that have come before them, but the fans have had to deal with that. And so I think at the very least, you have to recognize that this fan base is impatient, that it's, you know, with every year that goes by, that they've been sol sold false hopes in the past. And that's where this season's going to fall in another year that goes by the wayside. You know, forget the Stanley Cup. They're not even going to get to the playoffs. And I thought there were a couple of passages in that letter that at least made me think that, okay, I think I'm getting this sense that they understand the mounting frustration, whether that can speed up the process, who knows, but I think that's what fans want. I want if they want an acknowledgement from whoever's in charge that we hear you, we get it. Like we're trying, damn it. We're trying hard. And as much as we want to win, we understand that you, the loyal customer has had to go 50 plus years now without a cup and you've been close, but that doesn't mean anything ultimately. And Patrick Alvin was the guy that talked about banners. You know, they, they're certainly not going to deliver any banners to Rogers arena this season. No, they're certainly not going to do that at all. And yeah, I always find those, those letters to be interesting. And I think really, if you're a Canucks season ticket holder, you're probably rolling your eyes at this point, really. Cause how many of these letters have you had to endure over the years? And I get that it's a new management group and they're trying to do, there are put their you know stamp on this team, but there are a lot of things that they still have to clean up with this team. And the fan base isn't stupid; they know right. exactly what it is. Right, and that's why I said it, ultimately it's just words, right? Yeah. And yeah. they're going to be judged by their actions and based on the actions of this team this year. Not good enough, not yeah. good enough. But there certainly are pieces here, and people we discussed that to death. So another big off season on the horizon here to see what they can do in terms of creating cap flexibility so that they can then use that to try to address some of the areas of, of weakness on this hockey club. And speaking of cap flexibility, it seems like the cap is not going to move much. Be interesting. It might be another year with the flat cap for the NHL, which is going to be really interesting for the Canucks, because I know that the OEL buyout has been batted around a lot as of recent. You know, if the cap's not going anywhere, like, do you maybe swallow it for another year? Well, part of the problem with that is you would really recognize the value of the buyout over the next two seasons. That's where the savings come. And then there's the dead cap money that sits there for perpetuity, it feels like. So, you know, it kind of feels like to maximize the buyout, it has to be done this year. 
But, you know, Rick Tockett's comments, Oliver Ekman Larson himself talking about wanting to get back before the season is done here with just eight games to go. You know, they already talked about next year and Tockett's talked about big summer for OEL. You know, there certainly hasn't been an indication that the team is going to go down that road, except that in that letter that Rutherford sent out, they did have the one line that said, you know, they plan to manage the cap by whatever means necessary. And I think a lot of people, well, all right, like maybe that means buyouts and maybe it will, you know, they don't have to declare that anytime soon here. So I'm not anticipating, like, I just, I don't think the owner is going to write a $20 million check for OEL to go away. And I get that he's going to pay him 30 million if he sticks around. And so it's the devil you know and the devil you don't. And, but ultimately, $20 million to make a problem go away. Is that the cost of doing business in today's NHL? I don't know. That feels rich to me. It's not my money. And so it's easy for people to scream about, buy them out. But these are real dollars. And yeah. $20 he's got, million. He's got totally, he's making ten five in total salary this year. Yeah. He makes ten five in total salary next year. Then it falls off after that to 8 and then to five two five for the next two seasons after that. That's why I'm wondering if maybe you just swallow another year, have OEL in the lineup, you know, and, you know, just basically get the dollar signs down so that when it does sort of go up and then maybe a little easier to swallow, still going to be a tough pill to swallow. Like it's still a shit ton of money. I, I think my hunch is that they think that if he could play with Philip Ronick, could, yeah. you know, could Philip Ronick drive play enough to just sort of settle OEL down and, you know, at this stage of his career, you're not asking them to be a superstar, but I worry about the speed of the game. That's the biggest concern for me is that mobility and the issues with it, they were on full display so often this year, the game's only getting faster and he's not, but he's only 31. He's not 35 or 36. Like you'd like to think that there is still some utility there. The problem is if he's a third pairing guy, like at that price point, today's NHL, that's just bad business. If you have, you know, a guy making that much money on your third pair. So I mean, the challenges remain. And as you say, if the cap doesn't go up, then, uh, you know, we, I don't think this fan base is going to accept another off season of, oh, we tried and, you know, the economics weren't just right. And, you know, we're going to be patient and all that kind of stuff. Like at some point, this group has to make some strides forward here. And so it comes back to the same people, whether it's Brock Besser, whether it's Connor Garland, whether it's OEL, Tyler Myers, all those types of things. How different will this team look when they hit the ground? training camp in the fall and so you know it's never dull here in the off season and that's why (laughs) you know we'll stay on we'll certainly stay on top of it here on rink wide even though the games stop for the vancouver canucks for some the the real fun is the off season now and uh, there are still some massive fundamental questions facing this hockey club in this off season it's so funny our like our colleagues at rink wide toronto they have it flipped that we have right like the regular season doesn't really mean a whole lot to them everything's about the playoffs Whereas for us, it's all about the off season because that's yeah. where all the drama happens right now for the Canucks. I mean, you're right. I would, I want, I would love that to switch and, and just be able to talk some playoff hockey, but maybe OEL get replaced by Akita Hiroshi. Maybe, yeah. maybe this NCAA, a free agent that the Canucks signed. Of course, he's familiar with BC being a former salmon arm silverback in the BCHL. I played his university hockey at Minnesota State University. I mean, I don't know a whole lot about the player. They signed him. We're going to see him now, J-Pat. But uh, just another one of those, I guess you could say, scratch and wins. And hopefully this one wins for the Canucks. 
Yeah, and uh, was in town to sign his contract and, uh, you know, on the ice of practice. So, <laughs> you know, this wasn't a, an Aiden McDonough, I have to find a way out of Boston in a snowstorm to join the team. Like, yeah. you know, this guy made up his mind, he was here. And then the Canucks put out the photos of him signing the contract with Patrick Alvin and, and then hitting the ice. So, you know, it was clear that he, you know, whatever it was the Canucks sold him on, he was buying in. And yeah, I mean, the things that I've seen and read about him, you know, the size is going to be the challenge. but is an era now where undersized defensemen can make it but it comes back to this question for a head coach that seems to love his board battlers and wall work guys how willing is rick tockett to run a team that already has quinn hughes you know does that work against akito hiroshi in terms of you know another undersized guy you kind of wonder about that with jack rathbone you know in his time in the organization as well so let's see where it goes curious to see interested to see how they handle him here mcdonough had to be patient and get a few practices in the Canucks are at home. The schedule isn't as onerous as it had been for the last couple of weeks. But right off the top, we talked about motivated hockey clubs. You know, do you throw a guy in against one of these teams that's heading for the playoffs? Do you wait until the Chicago game a week from now so that he could have a couple of practices and learn the systems and they can work with him? You know, my hunch is that we're not going to see him right away. But at the same time, the Canucks are down left side defensemen. Like there is definitely an opening for a left shot defenseman. Because, uh, you know, Rathbone stepped in on an emergency basis. Breezewalk came back. Obviously had the miscue the other night in St. Louis. But right now it's Quinn Hughes and Guillaume Breezewalk is the only healthy left side guys. I haven't seen an update on Christian Willannon. It's a full team day off today, so we're not going to get one. But I do wonder if that clears a path for Akita Hiroshi to get right in the lineup and no time like the present. So I'm not sure. I just I don't have the answers to that. But uh, the fact that he's here, he is going to play for the Vancouver Canucks before this season is done and we'll see i mean people talk about him having the hockey smarts he's you know a good puck moving guy plays the modern game obviously the canucks liked him i mean they sounded like they put the full court press on him and i just think in a bigger picture sense you know add him to this list that it starts with andre kuzmenko last year but neil zoman and philip johansson and you know they got aiden mcdonough to sign with the canucks rather than forego you know, to he could have waited through the summer and become an unrestricted free agent. Like, you know, the Canucks are doing a nice job of convincing these players. Last week, it was Max Sasson. You know, I mean, Kuzmenko obviously has landed and, and been a player, and Amon's been a, a nice fit for the Vancouver Canucks as well. These other guys, who knows? But the fact that the Canucks are making these pitches, they're coveted, there's other teams that are out there, and these guys are seeing and agreeing to the vision that's being set forth. Like, I, I think you have to see that as a success for the Vancouver Canucks. And now you get them into the system. You let the developments group work with these players. And the hope is that, you know, a year from now, sometime next season, who knows, that they've taken enough strides that, you know, maybe they can give you some big league games. Two NCAA free agents signed. I mean, that's, yep. that's, I mean, that's gotta be a feather in their cap. And you're right. Like some of the guys that they've brought in, I mean, remember when they made the Nils Amon signing, we kind of went, okay, sure. Let's see. Yeah. Here, this guy's sixth, producing now, right? Sixth, a sixth round pick that, you yeah. know, could make the Colorado avalanche. Yeah. Or, you know, is it a guy that's sort of on the discard pile? Like obviously the Avs where they are in their evolution, they didn't see enough, but the Canucks, they need help. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, Nils Amon has stepped in and certainly since his recall has absolutely looked the part of a depth centerman at the National Hockey League level. And pro scouting is one of the things that we were concerned about during sure. the uh, Jim Benning uh, era, right? So they seem to be turning a corner in that regard. So, yeah, I mean, there's again, you can't it's a scratching win. So hopefully it works out for them. And if it doesn't, it's really no skin off their back. Pride night is tomorrow versus Calgary. They unveiled their pride jerseys. They're fantastic. 
They just, they do such a great job with all these uh, theme nights, uh, warm up jerseys. These ones are so great, but I just see a lot of people replying again, $750. Like, yeah, come on, man, what are we going to a Drake concert? Like, I know for a warm up jersey that <laughs> not a jersey guy, but that jumped out at me as well. Yeah. Like, uh, it, it do look spectacular. Full credit to Christina Herc is the artist uh, who did a terrific job and, you know, Good on the Canucks. Like there were some that thought maybe they had gone a little quiet on the whole topic, but they unveiled all of their plans. It's not just the the warm up jerseys. It's a full night. It starts before the game. It goes through the game as well. The warm up jerseys are sort of the focal point, and they do look spectacular. I see they put them on some other merch as well. That's not at seven hundred and fifty bucks, but yeah, I don't get that. You know, if you want them to be worn around town and and people to spread the love and the message. I don't know how you can expect that at 750 bucks. I get that they're worn by national hockey leaguers during warmup, but still that seems uh, awfully inflated to me, but love the design. And, and you're right. I mean, this organization has had a lot of missteps for a lot of years, but these theme nights, whether it's Diwali, whether it's black history month, whether it was the first nation's Jersey, they wore to honor Gino and the residential school survivors and victims, you know, it just, Absolutely. And now this pride one put that on the list too. the Vancouver Canucks. This is an area I think they may lead the league. They don't lead the league in a lot of areas, but just in the work that goes into these finished products are spectacular. And this is another one. So I hope it's a good night. Look, I'm all for inclusivity. It's teams that have stepped away and taken the decision out of the players' hands. Like that bugs me. I'm a believer that the players should have the right to express their individuality but the ones that don't want to wear the jerseys, they just have to step up. And if there's blowback, so be it. But the ones that want to embrace all of this and want to wear the jerseys, they should be allowed to. And that's why I didn't like the Rangers and the Blackhawks and the Minnesota Wild just scrapping that whole portion of their nights. So uh, I'm glad to hear that the Canucks are going to wear warm-up jerseys. I hope they all do. But, you know, we'll have to probably wait until warm-up on Friday to, to find out if there are any of the players that are unwilling to put the jersey on their back. Yeah, hearing the NHL might step back from the Pride Nights as well, which would be so NHL. Just, you know, sweep it under the rug and just forget about it, right? No, you can't. I think it's absolutely ridiculous, and it's something that it's all about inclusivity. That's what it's all about. So just wear the jersey, people. Come on. Applewood Auto Group is celebrating 25 years of business, making the car business and our communities better. Applewood offers the best in-class experience whether you're looking for a car, service, or to join our team. Come find out why it's all good at Applewood. Visit us online at applewood.ca today. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the Dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. The Rinkwide Vancouver is presented by Bodog, the place to go to make a play on free casino games and sports odds. We always hold back some ass J-Pats. I held back two from two guys that always send us really good questions and are always uh, dialed into each and every Rinkwide. So we appreciate uh, that from 
both of these guys, but to start with Andy on Twitter, who asks, will management be tricked by this late season scoring from Brock Besser and overvalue him? My hunch is no. I think that they will recognize that that's exactly what it is. It's a a late season push. Now, I'm glad that it's happening for him because, again, if he's going to be a a trade chip, you'd like him to have, you know, have upped his value a little bit going into the offseason. And he's doing that at the very least. You know, is there any pressure on this team? No. Is this essentially garbage time for the season? Yes. So you have to factor that in. And it would be nice to see Brock Besser come out of the gate scoring one of these seasons. And I get that the hand issue held him back early on this year. But I've made this point uh, this week on Sakara Surprise, I think even on Donnie and Dolly. If you go back to when Travis Green was into the final 25 games of his coaching, the Vancouver Canucks, Brock Besser had four goals at the time of that firing. So... You know, yes, there was a hand injury to start this season, but that year, like, we can't just keep coming back to, you know, oh, it takes a coaching change and to get a new coach bump because he certainly got the Bruce bump and he has responded here playing with JT Miller, who's playing terrific and Phil DiGiuseppe's been a nice addition on that line. And that line's all been in lockstep here. But, you know, roundabout way of saying, no, I don't think the management group is going to be fooled by this. But at the same time, to be fair to Brock Besser, is this a late season scoring bump? Because I was surprised at this myself yesterday. Since Christmas, the Vancouver Canucks played 41 games. Essentially a half a season. I posted this on Twitter. Brock Besser has 35 points in his last 41 games. Yeah. So he's a point of game player in March. So people can sit there and say, oh, it's his late season surge. Certainly the goal scoring. He scored in three in a row. That's the first time he has scored in back-to-back games all year. And now he's done it in in three. And one of them was the empty net of the other night in Chicago. But you know, he had a three-point night in St. Louis. He had six points on the three-game road trip. Again, I, I, JT Miller's playing terrific hockey, and, and Brock Besser's been a part of that. I'm not saying that he's drafting off JT Miller. They're just playing well. And, you know, I think we've said that before. When Besser has a, a center that can get him the puck and, and find himself in scoring positions, you know, he can still be a pretty effective player. You know, a tip on the power play the other night in St. Louis, the high slot deflection goal. So it really, to be fair to Brock, it hasn't necessarily been a late season push, but these games don't have the heft that, you know, teams going to the playoffs. Like that's where you'd love to see him step up and and contribute. Now that's not on him that they're not going to the playoffs, but all of them as a group. So I don't think management and the agent have tried to move him along for a while now. I think that we're going to find ourselves in another round of those discussions once the season and once the playoffs end around the draft, around free agency, I still think that the Vancouver Canucks would look to move off the two years remaining on that contract. Okay, so 52 points in the 66 games that he's played this year at 6.65, which is what his cap hit is. Does 60 points justify that cap hit? I mean, it's in the realm, right? Like... I still think it would be seen as a somewhat disappointing and frustrating season. A lot of that's based on the goal total. But when you talk about 60 points, I mean, yes, at that price point, you'd like a little bit more to extract true value from the contract. But 60 points isn't an insignificant number. It's not like it's just it's not. And so, you know, I think it again, the conversation around Brock has changed this year into what exactly is he at this stage of his career? Because the goals aren't where they used to be when he made it look easy to score goals, but he has morphed into more of a playmaker, or, you know, down low. One of the reasons he's on the power play, they love his puck retrieval and the fact that, you know, it's not just about scoring on the power play. It's when you don't score, the puck goes into the corner and it's a 
you need some guys that can get in there and win those battles to keep plays alive, to keep the puck in the zone and and keep the sequences alive. And, you know, the Canucks power plays all of a sudden it's back into the top 10 again, went two for three in St. Louis, scored once in Chicago. So they've got a top 10 power play in the National Hockey League. It's at 22.8% with eight games remaining. It'll be interesting to see where it tops out in, re- you know, in relation to the rest of the teams in the league, but also its overall point percentage. So I would say 60 points. If he can get there, I think that softens the blow relative to his contract. But I still think that's a contract that the Canucks would like to move off for the yeah. final two years. Ernest asks, are they playing with fire if they keep their top two centers in Pedersen and Miller on the PK next season? I, I A little bit, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, A, you're always putting yourself in harm's way when you're in the, power, in the penalty kill of you know, you're trying to step in and block shots. So that's part of it. But beyond that, those are hard minutes. And we know that Rick Tockett has leaned so heavily on both Patterson and Miller. And that's where I come back to a couple of things. One is Ilya Mikheyev hopefully is uh, healed up and ready to go and hasn't lost, you know, any of his speed because that's his biggest weapon. And I don't think ultimately we saw Ilya Mikheyev anywhere close to his best, knowing that he was playing through a pretty significant injury right from preseason. So I do think that Ilya Mikheyev can be back and part of what they're trying to put together here as a penalty-killing group. And then the pressure is on this management group. And for some of the things that we just talked about with Besser and freeing up cap space, that third-line center, that third-line center, if they go out and they find one in the open market, damn it, he better be a penalty killer. Because that's just, yes, they're going to have to offload some of the responsibility from Miller and Patterson to, uh, to other guys. And I just think a little bit less could be a whole lot more for both Pedersen and, and Miller. But certainly the workload doesn't seem to be slowing them down at all this year. But again, these games don't really mean much. So you want these guys fresh and ready to play. If they're in the heat of a playoff battle at this time next year, you certainly don't want to lean on them playing 24 minutes a night over the, the balance of a schedule. We can dig into this uh, when we uh, can focus in on it a little bit more, but it'd be really interesting to sort of look at targets for the Canucks for that 3C spot, whether it be free agent or through trade. And when you look at the glut of wingers that they do have to to deal, I would go the trade route to try to, to find that player because of the fact that you just have so many sort of almost redundant wingers in the system right now. Because you know free agency. Like you're always going to overpay in free agency. Yeah, and and I, are- I like Ely McCabe's game. I don't know if I like Ely McCabe's cap hit, though. Fair enough. But he's here, like, you know, so... He's under contract. He's going to be here next year, but I hear where you're going on the other front. And I saw, I think it was Sarah Valley that said, this is shaping up to be one of the least uh, or most underwhelming free agent classes in a long, long time. So, you know, if people think that they're going to, you know, spend and immediately address their needs, you can always find some diamonds in the rough. I mean, look at a Dakota Joshua, you know, the Canucks gave him a chance and it's paid off. But if you're looking at a third line center that, you know, has some, a resume and, and, you know, a track record of the National Hockey League, like those guys are going to cost you. And so maybe you do find one that's on a contract somewhere else. Maybe you could swap Brock Besser out and take on a, you know, somebody thinks a bloated contract. But like if you could shift some of the money from the wing to center, you know, you are addressing part of the issue there. So yeah, the management's going to have to get creative here. Don't know what that's going to look like ultimately, but uh, sure, we'll have lots of time in the offseason to sort of look at targets and, and potential players of interest for the Vancouver Canucks. Have you heard of Patrice Bergeron out of Boston? Because he's a UFA at the end of the year. Maybe they can snag him for the three C. Heard these rumblings that he's always wanted to finish his career in Vancouver. That's what I've heard as well. 
The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the Dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. Okay, let's get to my favorite part of our non-game day pods, because this is where I officially passed you. We will get to (laughs) the fantasy draft. I want to get this right away. Get it out of the way ahead of players of the week and the penalty box. And of course, uh, this is presented by Delaney's OK Tire out on Fraser Highway in Langley. If you're thinking about getting your tires uh, changed, you should go to these guys, but also they do full servicing too. I'm going to go see them here in a couple of weeks. I'm due, so I'll be checking out the Delaney's out on OK Tire at Fraser Highway. But uh, in the fantasy draft, I passed you now, and it, it, listen, it took us to this point of the year. We're right. inside 10 games now, so yeah. we dragged it out, but I, but I finally passed you. I had a 15-point week, so that brings me up to 184 points. You had a five-point week, and of course, you're only riding Andre Kuzmenko at the moment, so you're at 176. So unless Andre Kuzmenko does some ridiculous stuff and Horvat Hughes, Pedersen, and Miller just take the rest of the season off, I think I've got you done and dusted here, so start thinking about getting that money together because I'm going to have it. I think I've got my charity already picked out. Good. Well, it's funny, just uh, as an aside here, uh, I picked my wife's team for her office pool. Yeah. And it's leading. The team is leading. And there's like 25 people and there's some decent cash to to the winner. And I'm leading or we, we, of course, the collective we are leading with what? Two weeks left in the season. So part of the run here has been that, and it was one of those pools where you, you know, pick one of five guys from this box and one of five from the next. And, and so Patterson and Hughes were two of the guys that I picked. So I kind of have these mixed emotions that as they have just been <laughs> cranking it up here, I know that I'm, I'm taking a bath in our fantasy draft, but those guys are leading me to hopefully bigger winnings that actually I would take some of that money and then. Yeah, exactly. The there check. you go. So yeah. that's how it's all going here. So I'm hoping like you've heard me on this show. I want to see Patterson get to hundred points and, and then some, but a hundred this five-game homestand, Hughes certainly has his milestones as well. So I just keep the hammer down. I, I want to see both of these guys take it as far as they can here in this season. We did a poll, actually, uh, and you're just talking the numbers here. I want to pull it up because I found it to be quite interesting. We asked, at this point in the season, what stands, uh, what stat stands out to you the most Pedersen, this was at the time that we did this on the 27th. So Pedersen at 93 points, Kuzmenko at 35 goals, or Hughes at 64 assists. 50.6% of just over 1,000 votes, almost 1,100 votes, said Kuzmenko at at 35 goals. And of course, he's up to that total now, which I found to be quite interesting. You know, I don't think enough people are, you know, crediting Hughes and what he's doing this year because of what we talked about with that 70-point sort of a mark is very, very rare amongst NHL defensemen. 70 assists. Well, I, 70, I mean, 70 points is too. Yeah, sorry, I meant, I meant but, sorry. But yeah. there's some recency bias here. Like, we do take Pedersen and Hughes for granted now in this market. We just do. Like, that's just, you know, nobody's surprised that Elias Pedersen's had this kind of season that he's had. And certainly nobody can be surprised that Quinn Hughes is doing his things. And, you know, Kuzmenko, to some degree, is the new toy. And the way that he has bonded with the fans and the fans have responded, I'm not surprised that he's leading the charge here. I thought it was interesting. 
Sakaris and Price were asking who's going to be the most exciting player when the Canucks do their team awards. And I saw that Kuzmenko was running away with that. And I was thinking to myself, like, if you're being honest, much of the excitement happens before the puck arrives on his stick in the blue paint. But his celebrations, his smile, uh, his work with that 360 cam at the function that they did, <laughs> yeah. the the pregame stuff now with the Pepsi and the bananas and everything else. Like, oh, and calling out the, uh, the, the, the starting lineup as well. Right. Yeah. Like all of that. Like I, I get the bond, but if we are, and he's had some moments. Don't, I, I'm not trying to undersell his season, but if we're actually looking at the play, like when you think of what Elias Patterson has done all year and what Quinn Hughes just continues to do on a nightly basis, the fact that people are looking past those guys and voting for Kuzmenko, I'm not sure. Like, We'll see how it all plays out, but it just, it speaks to the relationship that this guy has already formed in his first season with this fan base. Okay, let's get to our players of the week and who we got into the penalty box. It's presented by Jason Hominick at jason.mortgage. I'd like to start things off if you don't mind. Sure. I got Dakota Joshua this week as my player of the week. You know, I'm really into Dakota Joshua right now. Three games played. You you and the coach. Yes, (laughs) yes. I'd like, I love seeing guys grow and we are seeing it in front of our own eyes right now with Dakota Joshua. He's elevated to that top line. Now, he only had two points in three games. So it's not really all always about the points with Dakota Joshua. I think he adds a dynamic to that top line, a guy that can get in there, you know, get the puck to those two dynamic scorers in Pedersen and Kuzmenko. But he had that big hit that led yeah. to the game-winning goal against Chicago. Didn't didn't get into the fight. Basically, the puck goes down. They get the, uh, essentially the game-winning goal there, so I liked that. The analytics for the week are good, but, I mean, you'd think that they would be good when you're playing on a line like that. To me, Dakota Joshua is just evolving in front of our eyes, and he's my player of the week. Yeah, good call. And the fact that he was out there as the extra attacker, right? you know, yeah. late to them, and that set him off a lot. And then the fact that I think he'll start Friday's game on that top line. So, yeah, no, it was a really good week for him, and it's been a bunch of good weeks. I'm not sure that he's been a player of the week, so... A new honor for him here on Rinkwide. Yeah. Uh, I'm going sort of, although we've talked about him a lot in this segment, it's usually been in the penalty box, but for all the reasons I laid earlier, three points in St. Louis, six points on the road trip, three straight games of the goal. I'll go with Brock Besser. Again, he hasn't had many weeks where he's been in the running for Player of the Week, so we'll give him a late-season nod here. Brock Besser is my Player of the Week. Yeah, I like what we're seeing from Brock Besser right now, and I'm wondering if the management group is sort of thinking long and hard about exactly what they want from Brock Besser. Cause let's keep in mind too, like the point totals are there. Like, like we talked about, like they're not as bad as I think a lot of people are sort of making his season out to be. The goal totals aren't really where you want them to be, but like how big is he in that dressing room as well? Right? Like these guys have all grown up together. Like how big of a piece would he be if you removed him, you know, from that core of players? Yeah. I mean, let's not lose sight of the fact that he was that close. It's a podcast. You can't see, but thumb and forefinger are like really, really close together to be in a healthy scratch, right? Like it got to that where Bruce Boudreaux just needed to find some way to try to, you know, the pat on the back wasn't working. It was kicking the butt, all tough love, whatever. And even though the points, as we said, in the second half of the season have been there early on, it was, it wasn't even the lack of points. It was the defensive play on some nights. People were questioning the effort on the back check and those types of things. You know, the team has tightened up, so I think that has, uh, you know, the rising tide lifts all players. But this is where management has to sort of look past the points and and try to see, you know, all right, like, you know, is he playing the way Rick Tockett wants? Can he do that for a full season? You know, can he deliver on the back check and in his own zone? Because, 
let's be honest, he had three points the other night, but he also had a pretty dreadful giveaway that led to the first of the two Jakob Verana goals, right? Like, puck comes around the boards, he just puts it right on Brandon Todd's stick. He's trying to make a play there, but ultimately it blew up in his face. So, you know, there was too much of that early on. He's offsetting it now with some points, but... Yeah, I mean, look, this management group's going to have to have a, a difficult think on Brock Besser here moving forward. Who you got in the penalty box? Beauvillier. Just, we touched on it earlier, so I don't need to go too deep there. It's just, uh, if anybody's seen him, send him to Rogers Arena because he needs to get back in the Canucks lineup here. It's just, it's incredible how quiet he has gone. Yeah, he's minor, on a mi- minor penalty. Yes. He's on a milk crate, our carton right now. <laughs> it's uh, Anthony Beauvillier. So is this guy, Vitaly Kravtsov. Healthy scratch versus Chicago. He's failing to generate any offense. He had one shot on goal in his last three games played. We were questioning his compete in the last post-game pod as well. Very underwhelmed right now by Vitaly Kravtsov. And listen, I think fans wanted to see it as well. Like There was a couple of flashes, but then no spark, really. Vitaly Kravtsov with a two-minute minor this week for myself. Yeah, I don't know where this goes for him. You know, I had no issues with the trade, the price of acquisition. Give it a shot. But it really, it hasn't done anything. And there's still these sort of rumblings that surround this guy about maybe him taking his puck and going back to Russia and playing in the KHL. And probably where he's best suited right now. And and yeah, like, I just don't know that the Vancouver Canucks, you know, again, they've got skilled wingers. If he brought something a little different to the mix, maybe, but he's just kind of blending into the woodwork here. And I'm not sure that that's enough to get a, another contract to be a full-time national hockey leaguer. So yeah, I mean, just add them to the list of guys that this group's going to have to make a decision on, but ultimately the player can make these decisions for management by either being good or not so good. And I think you would put Kravtsov in the latter category there in his brief run as a Vancouver Canuck. Yeah. RFA at the end of the year, but you're right. Uh, there is always, you know, whether he'll go back to Russia and, you know, maybe, Maybe that's best for him. Maybe he can go to a league like that and sort of, you know, find his game because not seeing it right now in the NHL. Our bow versus bow bet. Got an update on that. Beauvillier at seven goals. He's got eight games remaining. Bo Horvat added another goal. He's got six now yeah. with six games remaining. So, I mean, Beauvillier, we know how ice cold he's gone. Horvat is going through a cold slump or has been essentially since he joined the Islanders, but the Islanders are looking good right now as a team, especially to make the playoffs. Let's see if Bo Horvat can get me over the edge because I don't want to eat that damn chip. Bodog line of the day. Thinking baseball, J-Pat. Of course, it's opening day in major leagues and you and I are both baseball fans. You a fan of the Seattle Mariners, me a fan of Canada's team, the Toronto Blue Jays. You'd be a traitor if you didn't cheer for the Toronto Blue Jays and you're from Canada. But uh, right. anyway. But, um, yeah, let's just start the segment, though, with a little refresher of how last season ended. Ah, oh, here we go. Uh-huh. Yes, you'll always was, have that. It was eight to one. You'll always have that. Okay. Congratulations. And in another <laughs> 20 years, you'll make the playoffs again. But the Seattle Mariners, 87 and a half wins is the Bodog line. The Toronto Blue Jays at 92 and a half wins is the Bodog line. Now, last year, the Jays had 92 wins. Seattle had 90. Where would you go on both of those? All right. Just run the numbers again quickly. So Seattle's at uh, Bodog's line is 87 and a half wins. They had 90 last year. Yeah. Blue Jays at 92 and a half wins. They had 92 last year. All right. Uh, the Amateur are a team on the rise. Like Julio's going to lead them to uh, the playoffs again. Like market, they're going back to the postseason. So, Oscar, don't forget. I'm, I'm taking the over on the M's, and 
Yeah, oh, I'll take yeah. the under. I'll take the under on the Jays. Take the under on the Jays. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. See, I'm going over, over. Okay. I think Seattle wins 90 again this year. I think they finish second. I think they get the wild card. I think Houston, although a lot of people think that, you know, they got to regress at some point. Right. They just always seem to find guys. I don't know what it is. So I could see Houston winning that division, but I think Seattle will take one of the wild cards. I think the Jays are going to have a really good year. And you're sure people are like, oh, of course, Wadden thinks that. But look <laughs> at that team. Like they are really stacked. And they, of addressed- course, Wadden thinks that. Yeah. <laughs> they addressed a lot of things that the, needed to do so i think they're going to be above 92 i think they'll be somewhere between well i think 93 or 94 wins so i take in the over on both of those so clip this and we'll we'll look back at it uh, next year when we uh, get season three of Rinkwide vancouver cooking mm-hmm. uh did something hashtags we got three this week hashtag backbone in the 3-1 win over the stars hashtag nhl debut in the 4-2 win over the blackhawks and hashtag early season canucks in the 6-5 ot loss to the blues congratulations dave scaffy of terrace bc uh robin hagee of chimanis chimanis Shamanus, Shamanus. So you know I'm not from British Columbia. On the uh, when I pronounce it like that, Darren Pierce of Vancouver. You guys are Shamanus, Shamanus. What is it? Sure. Like sure. I would say to you, like shh. Yeah. You know, and then <laughs> like a lot of Manus. Yeah. Shamanus. Shamanus. All right. Uh, congratulations, Dave, Robin, Darren. You're all taking home $25 to BC's best breakfast. Yes. Check them out at the Dutch.com. Check us out tomorrow on the pregame show on YouTube as we'll be teeing up the Canucks and the Flames. And yeah, some, some games to, you know, to play for here for the Vancouver Canucks. Can play a little bit of spoiler with the Calgary Flames and of course uh, try to mess around with the LA Kings and their seeding as well. So a big weekend coming up here for the Canucks Friday and Sunday. Check us out pregame, postgame, every game because that's what we do here on Required Vancouver. This has been another edition of the Rinkwide Vancouver podcast presented by Bodog for Jeff Patterson. I'm Andrew Wadden. Remember, Rinkwide is the show that always goes.